Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The Volume. Just a reminder, you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is a new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at John Middlecoff to get notified when I go live. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 Now Podcast. Here's the plan. Talking some football, because that's what we do. The Bears, they're having some issues. Coach, rated by the feds, fields, multiple press conferences, freaking out in the media. Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers, play the Giants here in about, if you're listening to this on Thursday, very soon. 10 hours, 8 hours, 12 hours. So we got Thursday Night Football. Some thoughts on Kyle Shanahan and McCaffrey, and then uh, a little college football talk. Then we will dive into the mailbag. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram Fire in those DMs. Get your question answered here on the show. It's very, very easy to do. A lot of you guys have done it. Appreciate everyone chiming in those DMs. If you listen on Colin's feed, make sure you listen to the three and out feed. Appreciate everyone that subscribes three and out feed. Also, if you could leave a little review, if you, if you like the show, appreciate that. And um, the plan, we've had podcasts all week long. So we've had two this week. This is the third, and then we'll have another one after the uh, Thursday night game. So I appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate everyone sharing it with your friends. Podcast also on YouTube. And uh, and yeah, let's rock and roll. But first, let me tell you about something. A friend of mine, a partner of ours, and the official ticketing app of this show. If I wasn't going to a wedding this weekend, can't wait to watch Matt and Emily get married, I'd probably be going to USC Arizona State. And that's not to see the Sun Devils. Caleb Williams coming to town. I'd love to get my eyes and watch him play live. One of the best prospects in recent memory, and I would do it with my friends at Game Time. Just download the Game Time app. You can go to any college game, any pro game, concerts, comedy shows. They have you covered. Interactive maps to find specific price points, how much you want to spend, where you want to sit, and just type in the promo code John. That's J O H N J O H N for twenty dollars off your first pair of tickets. Don't even need a thank you. Go enjoy yourself. Have a good night out. Have a good day out. And do it with Game Time app, promo code John. The Bears had a horrendous day. They really did. I didn't realize that their defensive coordinator was not with the team last week. And then today, rumors are flying around on the internet. His house was raided by the feds 
who actually, ironically, have Peanut Tillman, who is an FBI agent now, and rumors are that he called Eberflus, Ryan Poles, and the Bears organization to let him know of, you know, just, I, I'm not going to say what the internet rumors, but they're pretty eye-opening. And some NFL reporters uh, tweeting out things going on of coaches being beyond shocked. And Albert Breer wrote, one coach texted him, fucking crazy. So some wild stuff is happening. And listen, this season is going very, very poorly before this ever happened. They had lost 10 straight games coming into this season, right? This individual situation, even though he's Eber Flus's guy, the information, like I'm not, as of right now, putting any blame on anything this guy did on the head coach or the GM. But these are the type things when the FBI raids your coordinator's houses and he has to resign on a Wednesday of week three, we'll get into the quarterback in a second, that usually mark the time where when everyone's fired, you go, yeah, that was the beginning of the end. And I I just think, and listen, in my decade plus of living in the Bay Area after moving back from Philadelphia, I saw some craziness in terms of football uh, madness, right? In, In terms of football drama. I saw Jim Harbaugh to Jim Tom Sula. That was wild. I've never seen anything quite like that. I saw a lot with the Oakland Raiders before they moved from fired coaches to staying at the Coliseum while they had already officially moved, but they didn't have a place to play. Like I've seen craziness and that's just part of, you know, the biggest television show in America, which is the NFL. When you start having coaches be involved with the feds, usually when you get raided, something not so good is happening. Uh, You can Google the rumors for yourself. And then when you're losing on top of that, like this team is in shambles. It it really is. What's crazy is a couple years ago when they fired Nagy and they fired Pace, it felt like they reset. It feels like they need a reset again. And I don't blame the coach or the GM for the quarterback who had a rough day as well. And the comments, which maybe you've seen by now, he essentially, at least through his words, blamed the coaches for his, you know, that's the excuse he used for playing basically as a robot and not being himself. And I didn't even take it as he was driving a bus over the offensive coaching staff. I took it as more he was admitting, I can't run an NFL offense. Because if I was an NFL team and I get a quarterback like Justin Fields, we know he's a remarkable runner. We know his running is at the upper echelon of all-time athletes in the NFL. Led the league in rushing last year. You just watch him last year ripping off runs. His speed, it's it's high end in a league full of elite athletes, right? But to sustain playing quarterback and to, to give the team that you play for like the willingness to one day want to extend you and give you a second contract, you have to prove that you can play in the pocket. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in the pocket the entire time. Last I checked, Josh Allen's running around all the time. Same with Lamar Jackson. Hell, Mahomes scrambles constantly. Russell Wilson has like three contracts based on scrambling around behind the line of scrimmage. But you have to prove that you can throw. And to me, Justin Fields, I was wrong on it. Loved him coming out of college. How could you not? 6'3", that size, that speed, that arm strength. You watch him in the NFL, he looks overwhelmed. He looks like a robot when he attempts to throw. When he doesn't attempt to throw and he just has a run play called or he looks at his first read and then just takes off, 
Like, yeah, that's not proving anything to me that we don't already know. I can't have my quarterback playing like that. And I think when he said that comment, he clearly saw the backlash, and then he held another press conference at his locker. I'll defend him uh, from, from this sense that if I was 23, 24 years old, and the only thing in my life I'd ever had was success, high school superstar, five-star recruit, goes to Georgia, and then he transfers to, wait for it, Ohio State, where he leads them to the playoffs and beats Clemson in a playoff game, where if memory serves me correct, he threw six touchdowns. And he, quote-unquote, fell in the draft to 11. So this is a guy who's used to having success. And now you watch him. Not only is he struggling, his team sucks, and it's a disaster. Now his defensive coordinator's resigning. You got Fed agents all over the place. He looked like a guy that's overwhelmed, which is understandable. Young people can get overwhelmed. The problem is, at this position, the standard is so freaking high. You are measured against. Do you handle yourself like Mahomes? Do, do you handle yourself like uh, like Trevor Lawrence and Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts? Because when I watch those guys handle the good times and the bad times, you always come away impressed. He's like, yeah, he handles it. And you never think like, oh, playing robotic. Obviously, to be a great player, and I would say to be good at your job, no matter what you do, you have to take, you know, the basics of whatever you're doing and also put your personality into it, right? Whether it's a sales meeting, whether you're selling a car, whether you're building a house, whether you're doing a podcast, there are some basic elements that are always going to stay consistent. And then you kind of have to just use your instincts. Welcome to life. Welcome to the real world. Like part of playing NFL quarterback is Mahomes knows he's got to make throws from the pocket for the Chiefs offense to be good. But he also knows, you know, a third of the plays are going to fail, going to be against a defense they weren't expecting, and he's got to freelance. So you have to play without having to think. But part of the reason you don't have to think is because you're so prepared and ready to go in the game. And let's face it, the other thing is part of being a quarterback even if you have the skills, it's really, really difficult. And some guys get overwhelmed because the amount of stuff that you have to be able to do just to make that completion from the pocket is absurd, right? It, it the, the level in which you have to play to be considered average in the NFL, it, it's very, very difficult to achieve. And I, I'm, I've seen a guy through two weeks, and even last year, that is just a little overwhelmed if he can't run. And Steve Young said this a long time. If you want to sustain a quarterback, he had to learn. I couldn't just rely on my legs. I had to be a good passer. And obviously he became, before Drew Brees, the most accurate passer in the history of the league because he had to win from the pocket. And I think when Justin Fields is saying, the coach has made me robotic, you can be like, well, the play calling, the offensive scheme. No, they're just asking you to complete basic routes because if we want to be successful long-term, you have to be able to do this. And maybe this week they'll just run them a bunch and it'll be like, maybe they'll win. That's not a sustainable way to play. Hell, they played that way last year and they lost 10 straight games and ended up drafting number one overall. So Eberflus, like I, I'm not blaming him for Justin Fields. Hell, at, at the information we have right now, I'm not blaming him for his defensive coordinator doing who knows what that, you know, the feds raiding everything that he's a part of. But these are the type things that you look back on and go, God, that's when it really started to unravel. And we already thought they were in shambles. But Wednesday, September 20th, was not a good day for the Chicago Bears. 
Okay, Thursday night football, which on paper doesn't look great, right? The 49ers are a 10-point favorite. The Giants are missing Saquon Barkley. They're missing, uh, you know, Thomas, their offensive lineman. They got several guys out. They are expected to not just lose, but to lose big. I'm going to say a couple things about the 49ers. And, and one, one thing in general, and I'm guilty of this. Don't I, I promise you I am. Is I say this all the time late in the season, like we worry way too much. And it's, it's my job to say what happened and give opinions on the games. But Thursday night, Kyle Shanahan talked about this at his press conference on Tuesday, how insane this week is. He said the first time he saw the players was, you know, after they fly back from L.A., was on Tuesday, like a little before lunch. And they give him the game plan and they go into a meeting. And he said, guys, when we come out, today is Wednesday on a normal week. And when we come out of this meeting, it'll be Thursday. And then by the time we go to walkthrough, it'll essentially be Friday. That's how fast this week is going. Like, it's not normal. Football is a lot like the military. It's very regimented. And every single week is set to a T, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, from game plan handout to what you do at practice on Wednesday, what you do on practice on Thursday, red zone, third down, whatever. It's all very similar team to team. But Thursday, and listen, I'm not anti-Thursday night football, right? It doesn't necessarily impact me. It's actually good for my job because it gives me another night to react to games. And as the Kelsey brothers said on their podcast, it's actually good the moment you win that game because you get a mini buy. And financially, it's been very rewarding for everyone involved in the NFL, players, owners, and coaches. They're all making more money because these networks are paying more money, i.e. Amazon, for this package. But this week, and I got to be very careful of doing this, like last week when we reacted to the Eagles, who did not look great, the difference, though, I would say on early Thursday night games is that like Kyle Shanahan and Brian Dayball, just like last week, Sirianni and O'Connell, had been preparing for that opponent since the summer. If your first Thursday night game is week 10, you're not preparing in the offseason for that Thursday night game, right? Because think how much stuff is going to change through the first nine games of the season. So you do get a big advantage from a coaching staff standpoint playing that first game. Obviously, from a player standpoint, you have a little less wear and tear on your body. But I think we got to be careful about overreacting to the games. I do think it was fair last week with the Eagles because it had been the same thing week one when you'd had all offseason to get ready for the Patriots, right? The offense looked a little off. But ultimately, the goal of this game, and obviously the NFL is a lot different in college, no style points, just win the freaking game, right? The Giants, the only thing anyone will remember if they end up going 10-7 and is that they beat Arizona. Not that they were down 20 nothing. not that they came storming back and scored, you know, 31 points in the second half. They won the freaking game. So if you win a Thursday night game, especially as a road team, incredible accomplishment. The later in the season it goes, you could win the game two to nothing. That's, that's the only goal. The one thing with the 49ers, though, is last week, Christian McCaffrey did not come out of the game. Literally every other offensive star on the Niners constantly rotates. Kittle comes out of the game. Obviously, Debo and Ayuk come out of the game. Uh, obviously, offensive linemen stay in the whole time. But McCaffrey never came out of the game. No one else got another carry. And I do wonder if there's part of Kyle Shanahan that wants to get Christian McCaffrey the MVP. And I would say early in the season, there are a couple guys, non-quarterbacks, and we know how difficult that can be. 
that just have a chance. I don't want to say they, you know, you'd feel good about it, but I would say Christian McCaffrey and Micah Parsons, given the years they are trending to have, the amount of touchdowns McCaffrey's going to score, the amount of primetime games and bright light plays he's going to make, Micah Parsons feels like he's headed for 25 sacks and 58 TFLs and maybe a pick and a bunch of fumble returns. His year could be awesome. Both those guys, which usually defensive player of the year and offensive player of the year, I do think could get their way into the MVP conversation. I'd put them in right away, right? But you got to do it a little longer. And it's very difficult because quarterbacks typically win it, right? It's actually always win it. I do wonder if, if Kyle Shanahan has to balance. Listen, McCaffrey, the moment the 49ers got him, it's one of the great trades I remember. Uh, and I thought it was kind of crazy at first. Second, a third, and a fourth for a running back who's been banged up a lot. He's been fucking fantastic. He's been unstoppable. I, I tweeted out uh, on Sunday when they were playing the Rams, is, is this what it felt like to watch Walter Payton? I mean, he's breaking tackles. He's running around, guys. He's freaking awesome. But you, you do have to conserve him for the long haul. And you have a guy, Elijah Mitchell, who a couple years ago ran for almost 1,000 yards as a as like a six-round rookie. Like You have other players on your team that I don't know can give the guy a breather. So Kyle Shanahan, I understand what he's saying. Thursday night games, pretty unfair to everyone involved, though everyone benefits that is involved financially. I, I do think he has to, because listen, Sean McVay with running backs will kick them to the curb so fast your head will spin. Love Todd Gurley when he was running around people and running by people. The moment that knee got a little bulky, threw him in the trash. Cam Akers felt like he loved him. Last year, they started budding heads. McVay turns on running backs. Kyle Shanahan gets a running back. He's going to ride that guy into the ground. Luckily for McCaffrey, he's a great player. So if he is going to ride you, your numbers are going to be awesome. This is a guy with injury history, man. And if the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl, because that's their goal right now. Not to get there, not to get back to the NFC Championship game, is to be the one seed and win the Super Bowl. Especially Kyle. Like, think of the coaches that he's compared to. Sean McVay, his big rival. He's beat him like eight straight games in the regular season. It doesn't matter. Because you know, or nine, because Sean McVay beat him in the most important game they've ever played. That was the NFC Championship game, and then went on to win the Super Bowl. And it feels like Kyle Shannon, if he doesn't win it and doesn't win it soon, and this year it feels like, I don't want to say it's on a platter for him, but he's clearly one of the three or four best teams. He's going to start kind of that early career Andy Reid, right? Now, that clearly aged pretty well, and anyone that was around Andy knew he was destined to, to win big, and when it's all said and done, he might have four Super Bowls. But you could argue that some of these teams are every bit as good as some of those Eagles teams, if not better. So there's a lot of pressure, just not just on Thursday night at home as a 10-point favorite, but just in general. Like, you know, Kyle's got to get it done, and this year is shaping up to be as good as any. One theory I've had for for a while is, you know, there are a lot of variables to the NBA losing ratings over the years, right? And to me, one of the biggest is guys not playing. I mean, you turn on the TV and people aren't playing. I think that's a big reason. Adam Silver, if you haven't seen the story, they passed a law like – they're going to be very, very strict on on resting and uh, load management, as they call it. Another thing I don't think we talk about enough is the growing irrelevance of college basketball. And I'm not talking about the NCAA tournament. I'm just talking about the season. When I was a kid, I don't know if college basketball was as big as college football, but it wasn't that far away. And a big reason was every guy that was going to be drafted and every star in college basketball went on to the NBA, and you got to follow their career for several years. Most guys were not even one-and-dones. 
They stayed out of school two or three years. So you got to build up their stardom and then follow their career. Like Steph Curry. You watched him blow up in the NCAA tournament, and then he came back. You, you got to build up knowing who Steph Curry was before he ever played an NBA game. Hell, even LeBron, who never went to college, followed the guy in high school for multiple years. So by the time he got to the pros, knew who he was. But college basketball was huge. Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, Arizona. They build up stars. Those days are over. I mean, I, I'm buddies with a guy who works in the NBA and is very, very close to the guy that was drafted very high, um, who went to the G League. And while I knew who the player was, never saw him play, never saw a dribble until he got to the NBA, just like most fans. So while he got drafted very high, his stardom, right, was nowhere near what it would have been if he had played at Duke or Texas or UCLA. And the one thing college football has really going for it is we obviously gamble on it and watch it. You saw Dion's rating over 9 million people watch that game on Saturday night, not including me. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch a snap because I was watching the dogs kill Arizona State. I, I might like a redo on that one. But because when you play in college football, like Caleb Williams, when he's drafted, we will have several years of watching him play. Even non-football powers, the moment they get some sweet NFL prospect, like Duke, they got a quarterback. People just kind of paying attention. North Carolina, Drake May, you're kind of paying attention. Then some of the Blue Bloods, when they get guys like Caleb Williams or Oregon with Bo Nix, we're definitely watching. And you get to build up their Marvin Harrison Jr., all the guys at Alabama over the years. is like when Julio Jones or Amari Cooper is drafted on whatever April 30th of whatever draft they're in, you know the player. You have a long history with the player. You've watched them play several games. And the NFL greatly benefits from that. They basically get a free minor league system to develop stars on Saturday. This is the problem. Like, I, I love golf. Live golf was never going to be sustainable because once they bought the stars, if people stopped going over there, they were never going to be able to develop new stars. Like, how do you become a star in golf? Well, you beat Tiger Woods, you beat Phil Mickelson, you beat John Rahm or Rory McIlroy. That helps build you up. Why Victor Hovland, for example, if you're if you're a golf guy, has become a star because he's been beating all these guys, right? So in, in college football, really benefits the NFL. Now, I love, I could sit around from sunup till sundown, like I would imagine many people listening, and watch football from Saturday till Sunday night. Obviously, some people listening, once you get kids, once you get priorities, it becomes a little difficult. Hell, once you get serious girlfriends, it's you, you got to pick your spots, especially because like, well, I really make my money on the NFL. If there's not a game I want to watch, we can go to lunch, right? Even though it's like, yeah, I kind of want to watch Minnesota, Nebraska, but I'm a sicko. But this weekend has a chance to be pretty awesome. And I, I mentioned this earlier in the week. I was texting around, talking with people this week. I think it would be gross negligence if I was a GM to not have at minimum one of my scouts at the Colorado-Oregon game and at the Notre Dame-Ohio uh, State game. And I, texting around, I, I would expect, I had one buddy said that not only does he think every team will be represented at one of those two games, he thinks a ton of teams will send multiple guys. You know, Notre Dame having this quarterback who's just a fascinating, polarizing guy. Shador Sanders, you've probably seen the viral clip where Dion says he doesn't want to lose him. I saw Joel Klatt said maybe they could get him $10 million next year, 
which, listen, $10 million is a lot of money, but when you're the number two overall pick, which Shador easily could at worst be the number three pick, you know, you're getting $35, $36, $37 million guaranteed immediately, and your clock starts to sign your second contract. But regardless, like, everyone's paying attention to this. And like I said, the NFL greatly benefits. I'm greatly interested. I can't wait to watch. But this is this is money-making season for these guys. It's often why, you know, when uh, when guys sit out or don't play in the bowl game, well, if you're Caleb Williams and they miss the playoffs and Caleb sits out the bowl game, he has nothing to gain. But if you're a fourth-round pick, if you're a fifth-round pick, the way you improve your stock, like if you're Bo Nix, go out and make plays. The games is what you're judged on. That's how you're judged. And I'm fascinated to watch this play out. We've been talking about Sam Hartman, how he's going to look in this spot. Um, it, it's just, it's going to be fun. And college football really matters. What Dion's doing it is incredible. I thought the overreaction to the hit was a little crazy. And I thought it was a little disingenuous from some of the old school players who I would say most of them were apart on one side or the other of just some crazy shit, right? When people say things to you and drag your coach through the mud, start you know belittling your team. Usually in the history of football, the football I know, high school to college to the pros, you know, some cheap shots go down. Part of the sport, part of the league. This is not European soccer here. I mean, this football with pads where people are tackled to the ground. So was I shocked? Again, I didn't see it live. I guess there were some other skirmishes. Of course those guys were going to draw a line in the sand. This is the sport of football. Cheap shot? Of course it was. Does the guy needs, I mean, some of these takes, he should be kicked out of football, suspended forever. It's like, give me a break. You know, he hit him in the hit him in the chest. I saw someone retweet the video in the national championship when Florida played Oklahoma, and it's in the uh, Netflix documentary of Urban Meyer and Tebow. There was a hit in that game where I, I forget the uh, the Florida DB's name. He hits the, the wide receiver so hard. I mean, could have killed him. I, I can't even imagine if that play happened now. All, all the players from the 90s would want, like, college football shut down. It's like, guys, half of you guys did that. You know, so listen, I, I never overreact to violence in football or when someone crosses the line. It's the nature of the sport, right? Doesn't mean it's right, but it's it's part of the deal. And it happens way more than any of us want to admit. Uh, I'm just glad that this many people have takes on college football. And listen, like the one thing with Dion, he's added an element of just interest. He's made a program that did not matter, completely irrelevant. You couldn't have paid anyone to watch Colorado, Colorado State last year when Carl Durrell and company was robbing the university. (laughs) You know, Carl Durrell last year was making almost $4 million. (laughs) I mean, give me a break. You talk about highway robbery. Dion made it not just relevant, but must-watch TV, and it, it shows you. In America, we love drama. We, we really do. And we always have with television shows, and right now, football is the number one television show in America. And Dion brought the drama. So whether you hate him, whether you love him, who cares? You're interested. And as someone that football pays their bills and loves it, I'm glad this many people love the sport. And I'm glad there are people like Dion that can move the needle and get people interested, right? And, and I'm glad that Guys like his son are are awesome to watch that make it all worthwhile because obviously without, you know, the star quarterbacks in college football this year, the ratings wouldn't be as high, right? If Shador Sanders wasn't any good, regardless of what Dion said, we wouldn't watch bad football. It's good football. It's very entertaining. 
it, it feels like future NFL quarterbacks because that's what they are. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with the code JOHN, J-O-H-N. New customers can bet $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. With code JOHN, J-O-H-N, the crown is yours. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. They help you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Did you know 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites? LinkedIn's the only one I use. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash J-O-H-N. That's linkedin.com slash J-O-H-N to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, let's dive into a little thing we call the mailbag. Middlecoff Mailbag at John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs. Get your question answered here on the show. Like my man Joseph. Love the show. What the hell is going on with Alan Williams and the Bears? Could this lead to full staff changes? If the Bears win five or less, Eberflus has to be fired, right? As I mentioned earlier, man, it's pretty easy to see when things are the beginning of the end. Uh, I remember, and it doesn't always have to be like the feds involved. In football, you can't overcome craziness when you're losing. And there's always a moment in every, I would say, tenure when it's like, ah, that's the beginning of the end. I remember Joe Judge ran quarterback sneak on third and seven. You're like, yeah, he's getting fired. <laughs> that that thing's over. And I, I think with Eberflus, it, it was today. The combination of kind of fields melting down, which not all of his fault, but a coach. Again, not even his fault either, but it does represent something 
Uh, and it's just, you you know, you can't fire the players. You can't fire the owner. Someone, someone's got to pay. Huge Broncos fan here. Was at the game for the heartbreaking loss to the Commanders, even though we didn't deserve to win that game anyway. For the first time in a long time, I feel our defense totally let us down. I hated Vance Joseph as our head coach a few years back and was upset to see him get our D.C. opening. His defense was awful with the Cardinals. Is it common? Could you see the Broncos firing him midseason and bringing someone else in? I don't remember many guys getting fired as a head coach somewhere and then going back as a coordinator. I mean, I'm sure it's happened before in football, maybe in college, maybe in the pros, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, and like you said, I always screw up his name, but the D.C. in Carolina that was your D.C. last year from UC Davis, stud. I mean, your guys' defense last year was awesome. That that was that was utterly embarrassing. Now, I know you guys got injuries, but when people don't think you're good, you know, as a coordinator, as an X's nose guy, like Pat Shermer, it's like, ah, I don't want this guy as my coach. Matt Canada, Vance Joseph, it's hard to shake it. It's like, oh, we got smoked, but Vic Fangio's our defensive coordinator. We're going to be okay. Right. I think you often lean like everything's going to be okay when you have a guy that has the credibility. When the guy lacks the credibility, it's just human nature for people to pivot. Just seeing the comments Fields made, and I have to say I love it. Fields has four designated runs on the year, two being sneaks. Only passed from under center twice against Tampa. Not moving the pocket, not using field strengths, but instead having him sit in the pocket with the worst graded interior line. You and Colin always talk about how important coaching is, and currently, beyond Fields' flaws, he's not been given a chance to grow. Play to his strengths. I still believe in him, but if we move on and keep the coaching staff, it won't matter if we get Caleb Williams. We'll run him into the ground, too. Our head coach can't get the defense right. Our OC gets laughed at by everyone who breaks down the Bears' film. Just give Fields a fighting chance. Here's where I'm going to push back on that. Is I remember last year, in the last two years, when... When Trey Lance was a rookie, Kyle Shanahan basically scrapped his offense and ran the zone read power running game the whole game. And a lot, I think Trey Lance had like 17 carries. People were like, they're going to run him into the ground, let him pass. It's like, well, he can't. So it's like part of this, you're right. If you just wanted to win a given week, just run him, right? Just run quarterback powers, run boots and waggles, tell him to scramble nonstop. But you want to find out if the guy's any good as a passer, right? Even when Lamar and their offense was very collegiate, I, I haven't, quote-unquote, broken down the film, but really locked in on the Ravens' offense. They still show signs of previous years. But Lamar always proved like he was very capable passing the ball. He, he was actually much better, to me, as a thrower in the pros than he was in college. To me, Fields, I have to see if he can do that. Like, the reason Kyle Shanahan got off Trey Lance, he didn't think he could throw. So this team, they, they can't bench fields. They don't have any other anyone else. They don't have any other options. And you have to just see if he can figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, I would imagine they'll just run a very remedial playbook. But what does that tell you? That's not sustainable. What do you do after the season? Let's say you win an extra game because of it. So instead of winning three games, you win four. And he runs for a bunch of yards. He was doing that last year, and you were losing all the time. Now, I'm not defending Eberflus's defense. It's, it's embarrassing. But offensively, 
I, I got to find out if the guy can throw if I'm going to make him my long-term quarterback. This is year three. It's, it's not year one. Like, I understand the Colts running around Anthony Richardson a lot. He's a rookie, right? He can't really throw yet. Hopefully in a couple years, he develops that. But by year three, I'm going to have to see him make some plays in the pocket. Because if you can't make plays in the pocket, I can't have you as my quarterback. So if I can't have you as my quarterback, like I have to know for sure. And you could argue we already know, but I, I don't totally blame them for wanting to figure that out. Charger fan here. Do you have any insider connections on what it will take to fire Staley? Are you going to have to wait till the end of the season? When they do inevitably fire, is there anyone they could, would hire? A lot of Charger fans online are talking about Harbaugh, but that feels too good to be true. There was an internet rumor, which I can't substantiate it, neither can anybody, but I, we all love a good internet rumor that the Chargers and Jim Harbaugh have already spoken. Obviously, if you could hire Jim Harbaugh, which you could if you offered him the job, that would be a no-brainer. It'd be an enormous upgrade. Jim Harbaugh's not cheap. Like he's not taking your job for $10 million. He's probably $15 to $18 million at you know four or five years. So it's a $60 to $75 million commitment. And I, I say it all the time. Cheapness is a disease, and your owner has it. And paying the players is easy. It's all monopoly money. Paying the coaches, like... If you get a $7 million coach instead of a $15 million coach, it's eight extra million in your pocket. So I, I would expect Kellen Moore to be the coach. That, that'd be my guess. And I expect, and we'll, we'll talk about this probably on Thursday's pod, but if you guys lose to the Vikings, I, I think there's a real chance Staley gets fired. And then they basically just give Kellen Moore the job, and it's essentially a job interview for what amounts to what? 14 games? I think that's on the table. Uh, daily listener, quick question. Who would you put in the flex spot? Collins from Houston or Zach Moss? It's a good question. I Shit, I don't know. Seems like kind of shitty flex op options. I'm not even a fantasy football player. A lot of questions about Fields throwing guys under the bus. We kind of already answered that. From a scout's perspective, how much of Deshaun Watson's struggles are from being almost two years away from football? I find it hard to believe Mahomes could miss the next 25 games and just come back to football and be anything other than a bottom quarterback. He gets a lot of criticism, rightfully so, but I find it completely unreasonable to think he could be a top-half quarterback this season. To me, it's just unrealistic. Well, if that's true, that's a major problem, right? I, I gave him last year, like whatever. It, he had been away the previous year. He missed, whatever, 11 games. I wasn't even going to count the last five games that he played. Meant nothing to me. Honestly, didn't. I do think you get a full off season. You get some games under your belt last year. My expectations were not for him to be a star, but to be much better than he's looked to me. Like, I, I saw a guy that looked kind of clueless the other night, running into sacks, inaccurate, just didn't look like a good player. I mean, he's paid $229 million. So when you give a guy that much money, I've said it over and over, you have to have him be, I don't know, top six quarterback, and he doesn't even feel remotely close to that. I also would disagree. If Mahomes missed a year and a half, I do think he would look better than that. Would he be the number one quarterback? No. It would take a little while. I remember Colin had a take on John Gruden when John Gruden came back to the Raiders that it was impossible to sit out in a competitive industry for that long and not come back and struggle. And he was right. And you could argue athletics is very similar. 
you know, most buildings, when you walk into an equipment, an equipment room slash locker room, have something somewhere that says you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Nobody stays the same because it is true. Like if you're just staying stagnant and obviously if you're not playing football, you get passed by other people. And so clearly you, he didn't improve for two years. So he's gotten worse. Hell, I, I saw it with Nick Bosa, right? Like at the end of the last year, you're like Nick Bosa, TJ Watt, Micah Parsons, all similar dominant defensive players. One guy doesn't play any football because he's holding out until week one. The other two guys are getting locked and loaded all training camp. They both come out. They have like 25 combined sacks through two games. And Nick Bosa, it wasn't until to me like the second half of the Rams game where he started to show some signs of life, which understandable. He wasn't playing any football. And trust me, I've been to Niners practice. It's not like even like Nick does that much of practice in terms of like when he's ready for the season, but at least he's taking some reps. So you can't not play. I, I hear you on that one. Recently started my own podcast with an emphasis on bring on players, coaches, and personalities to talk about their careers. And I wanted to reach out and see if you'd be interested in coming on. I know how often uh, about your time as a scout on your show, I'd like the opportunity to discuss. Yeah, fire in my uh, fire in my email. I think I have my email on my Twitter account. I, I just I would say it. Uh, yeah, it's just on my Twitter account. We'll see if we can make something happen. Hey, John, it seems like the Chiefs muff a punt at least every other game, or at least enough where I cringe every time I see the punt return try and field the ball. Since 17-18, they are constantly cycling different returners throughout the season, but none seem to really work out. Would it be outrageous for the Chiefs to not have a returner back there and just let the opposing team punt the ball and down the ball? Love the podcast. Uh, I would say, yeah, a little bit. Because, one, worst-case scenario, you just have a guy fair catch every punt. Unless it's you know he's going to catch it like the five-yard line. Because if you could fair catch the ball at the 16-yard line, you don't want it to bounce and then be able to down it at the two-yard line. So you want a returner back there at minimum just to fair catch the ball. You know, the high percentage of times he can do that to potentially stop them from downing it within the five. Your return man is very predicated on the receiving group, right? I guess occasionally you will have a DB that can do it. But remember, Tyreek Hill could do it and was awesome. And then he became Tyreek Hill, and you're like, you can't put him back there. Same thing when I was with Philly with Deshaun Jackson. Once you become so good, I can't risk you getting injured there. And usually the drop-off between the guy who's the best at it on your team and the next guy is pretty substantial. And then you try to battle, like, can we get a guy who's just a returner? Well, can he play on offense? And it's it's hard. I say this all the time, like, oh, we don't, our DBs aren't any good. Well, if you have one good corner, you're ahead of the game. Most teams don't have two good starting corners, right? So it's like, I guess in a roundabout way, it's somewhat of a luxury. Now, I hear you muffing some punts, not ideal. You have one of the better special teams coaches in the league. Um, I would imagine you'll eventually get a punt returner. Might obviously probably won't be this year, but you'll hit on one in the draft sooner or later. Question for the bag. Everyone is talking about what if Caleb Williams refuses to go to the cards, but no one is talking about what that means for Kyler Murray. Will they just cut him, trade him? His contract is massive. What happens to Kyler Murray? 
His work ethic is on record for not being great, but he's super talented quarterback at the end of the day. I saw a headline today on Pro Football Talk that he's itching to get back. And remember, Michael Lombardi talked about this, that the way his contract is set up, they could get out of it for a lot less guaranteed if he's not injured. If he is injured, the guaranteed money that they would owe him basically doubles. I think it goes from like 50 to 90 plus million dollars because most contracts are split between performance and injury guarantees. So it's something to keep an eye on. To me, there's a rubber meet the road uh, meets the road moment with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. When he claims I'm fully healthy and a doctor gives him the full bill of health that he is cleared to play football, do they play him? I don't see how they don't. And if they do not, that becomes one of the bigger stories in the league because they basically are admitting they're done with him. And then he essentially goes on the trading block, which would kick in, you know, he wouldn't get traded this season, but he, I guess he could, but he would definitely get traded uh, to me next, whatever, you know, a lot of guys get traded before free agency opens March 15th. So you get trading, you know, combine sometime in mid to late February, early March. And I, I think it would mark the end of his short tenure in in Arizona. But I'm with you. He's not my cup of tea. And that clause in the contract is probably something you'll never see again. But when he is right, he is pretty good. <laughs> he's not like top five good, but he's he's somewhere like seven, eight, nine. Like that dude can sling it. Now, I got a lot of question marks on him. Obviously, he has a torn ACL. He is small. He's been basically broken down two years in a row late in the season, even before the injury last year. Uh, and then, like you said, some of the off-the-field stuff. Now, they have gone over the top saying he's a different guy. They named him a captain, which my spidey senses went off. To me, you name him a captain because you're trying to get him to look better, which is the smart move. You want his perception around the league to increase. Long-time listener, question for the mailbag. You talked about Najee Harris briefly. I went to high school with the guy, and he was an absolute monster in high school and at Bama. You mentioned him not being a very good player, totally warranted as he's had a rough past two seasons. My question is, do you think the amount of carries that he put on his body over a six, seven-year span is already starting to break down his body? Because the Steelers' line is absolutely horseshit, or do you think he's really just not that good? Personally, I think Matt Canada hasn't done him any favors with the scheme, they try to run. It's basically just inside handoffs up the gut. No holes to run through. No creativity in the offense. I like this guy. Guy's from Antioch. Pittsburgh High School, I think, is where you guys went to high school. I also followed his high school career. And uh, when he went to Alabama, it was a really big deal. One thing when he got there, someone told me about him. Because you're right, he was a superstar in high school. I mean, easily, I don't know what his graduating class was in high school, but he was... I don't know if he was the number one player in California, but he was a top five player in California. Obviously, you go to Alabama from, you know, Antioch, California. Someone around the Bama program told me the first year they saw him, they're like, one thing that happens sometimes to Alabama is a guy that is so physically dominant relative to his peers in high school that Nick ends up getting. And then he got to school. He actually wasn't that good till really his senior year. I thought that senior year was when it was like, okay, this guy's a legitimate NFL running back. He had moments throughout his college career, but I think he took a dramatic jump that last year in school. But early on when he got in the program, someone's like, you know, he's just bigger than a lot of people. 
And I, I'm just not sure how instinctive he is. And that's something that you've seen in the pros. Instincts as a runner. It, to me, is like the number one trait a running back needs. Because you you actually don't need top-end speed. That, that's a huge luxury. You know, you, you, big, small, like running backs come in all shapes and sizes. There is an instinctive, just I, I would say, that and corner. Like instincts is such a huge part of your game. Obviously, as a runner, you're constantly trying to make guys miss. Holes open up for split seconds. You have to know when to hit them, when to bounce it. Um, it, it it's something you can't really teach once you get to a certain level. And when I watch him, I just don't see that instinctive of a player. Most of the great running backs are instinctive players. Like you watch Nick Chubb, you watch Christian McCaffrey. I remember Frank Gore forever, who did not have the physical skills of a lot of guys. But he was so good at kind of feeling his way around. You don't have to be lightning fast. You have to be quick. And you have to be deliberate, but you don't need to... Like, Adrian Peterson's home run hitting speed was a luxury. It's what made him a superstar. But what made him a great player was the power, the ability to get downhill, and his instincts, right? Now, he could get by. I wouldn't say his instincts were like Barry Sanders or Shady McCoy, but his physical prowess was so elite. You watch Najee, like his physical prowess, he's big, but he's not that quick relative to NFL players, which is why I think they like the other guy. The Jets have a quarterback issue. Wilson isn't going to get the job done. Would the Cowboys backup Cooper Rush fit the Jets? Has anyone considered this? Rush proved last year he can win football games. If the Jets traded for Rush, what would he be worth to the Cowboys? A fourth-round pick? I, I hear you. I would imagine you're a Jets fan, and it feels... Uh, no, it looks like a Dallas Cowboy fan. I, you know, my overall take would be this is you're kind of screwed. You really are. There's just not much you can do. There really isn't. There's nothing you can do. You're just kind of screwed. Adding Cooper Rush doesn't do much. It doesn't change anything. It just doesn't. You know? And I I like what I saw out of Cooper Rush. But for a fourth-round pick, like, now you could argue you're desperate, you're trying to win. Why wouldn't you want to add a quarterback if you can? He doesn't know the offense. He's coming in midseason. The offensive line's not great. I don't know. I I, I hear what you're saying, and you got to think outside the box. I, I think it's kind of irrelevant. Someone just text me, Cam Akers traded the Vikings. With what seems like more legit quarterbacks coming into the draft every year compared to five or ten years ago, do you think the NFL will ever see a time where every team has a legit starting and franchise quarterback and there won't be any room for the next round of college quarterbacks to become a starter in their first year and will have to wait a few years before playing. I think we're a long way away from that because just because you're a great player in college, Justin Fields, does not mean that it's going to translate to the NFL. So as awesome as all these quarterback prospects look, clearly Caleb, Drake May, Penix, Bo Nix, Sam Hartman, uh, the Duke guy, Riley Leonard, uh, dudes everywhere. The percentage of those guys that become good NFL quarterbacks, we know is low. Like the, the chance that any of those guys become Mahomes, whoever, right, is slim to none. Let's say Caleb hits. He lives up to the hype, becomes Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, right? Becomes Mahomes, Josh Allen type. Let's say Drake May is solid. He's like Dak Prescott. That would be a good quarterback draft. And the other guys end up being backups. The likelihood that all these guys are as good as we think they'll be never happens. 
It's why I think you could say the same thing for just a draft. Every guy that's drafted, let's just pick the top 15 picks. The excitement level from those fans, you know, if you're a fan of that team that took the guy, is through the roof. Get a wide receiver, get a pass rusher, get a quarterback, get an offensive lineman. We know half those guys don't cut it, aren't good enough, never make a Pro Bowl, never sniff a Pro Bowl, don't get a second contract with that team, don't get their fifth-year option picked up. So quarterbacks aren't any different than the other positions that, listen, I'm as high on this class as anybody. You just watch college football. They all look high-end prospects. I mean, they look awesome. All of them. Big arms, athletic, you know, explosive players, make explosive plays, instinctive, accurate. I mean, <laughs> you can't watch any of them play. And I'm like, God, I think this guy's an NFL starter. But that's how most prospects are. They get drafted, and half of them don't turn out to be that great. So... Like, think about some of the guys holding on to their career right now. Baker Mayfield. Do you know how good that guy was in, in college? Remember Baker at Oklahoma for three straight years? It was stupid how awesome the guy was. It was crazy. I mean, Justin Fields lit up Clemson when they were good. It's very, very difficult. And just because you kick ass in college, th there is no guarantee that you're going to kick ass in the pros. It's what makes this whole thing fun, right? Because there is unknown. We think we're excited. They're going to get drafted high. But there is no guarantee they're going to be good. And then when they're not good, it becomes a huge story. Like Trey Lance or Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, right? They actually are much more of the rule than the exception, which is Mahomes or Josh Allen. Most guys are average to below because it's so hard to play in the NFL. It's so much more difficult than college. Even if you play... George, the last couple of years, a bad example because every guy's an NFL player. But if you play, you know, an average, just a top 20 team, they might have three pros on defense. Let's say a really good defense has four or five pros. Well, not all those guys are first or second rounders. Some of those guys might be like four, fifth, six rounders. Some of those guys might be lifetime backups in the NFL. So, yeah, they're pros, but they're not even starting defensive players. The, the cream rises. The fact gets trimmed in the NFL, it's way faster. It's way more complicated and complex in terms of schemes. It's just more difficult. It, it, it really is. So I hear what you're saying. And logically, the way we've been talking about these players, not a crazy thing to ask. But in reality, and the history of the league would tell us that's just never going to be a problem. And if it is, it'd be crazy. It would actually be the wildest story we've ever seen. It'd be nuts if I would say 20 of the 32 teams had like sweet quarterbacks. I mean, how many teams right now would consider their quarterback like high end? Probably under 13, under 12. And I think we're going through a pretty good quarterback era. It, it shows you how difficult this thing is. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a good week. We'll be back after Thursday Night Football. And, uh, and yeah, talk to you soon. See ya. The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. 